Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, October the 9th, 2023. It's a public holiday on the West Coast of the United States, where I'm talking from, San Francisco. Once known as Columbus Day, now it is Indigenous People's Day, or I'm not on holiday, and the show, of course, is never on holiday. Um, I live uh, just above the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. Many of you will be familiar with that, either in person or perhaps from literature. One of the best books, one of the books that I think... Um, memorialized the Haight-Ashbury better than anything else was Joden Didion's wonderful book of essays, The White Album, about the 1960s. Didion has always struck me as a particularly Californian writer, grew up in Sacramento, educated at Berkeley, spent most of her life in California, although I'm not entirely sure what a California writer actually means. That may be the definition of what a California writer is. Anyway, we are talking Joan Didion today with my guest, um, Evelyn uh, McDonald, who's talking to us, appropriate enough, also from California, from Los Angeles. She has a new book out, The World According to Joan Didion. Uh, Evelyn, welcome. Congratulations on the book just out. Um, is that credible that one way of describing Joan Didion is as a Californian writer, whatever that means? Absolutely. And, and uh, thank you for having me here, by the way. Um, well, yeah, she was born and raised in California, in Sacramento, in the Central Valley, and lived much of her life in California, uh, went to California, UC Berkeley, um, for her undergraduate education, which was actually the only degree she got. And then came back, went to New York for several years, uh, really started her publishing career there, her journalism and novel writing career in New York, and then moved back to California, this time moving to Los Angeles, uh, first moving to um, Portuguese Bend, which is actually just around the bend from where I live here in, in San Pedro. Um, and then up to uh, Hollywood, to Malibu, to Brentwood, and those, then that's when she really became famous. That was, that's when Slouching Towards Bethlehem, her first collection of essays came out and her novel, second novel played as it lays. Her first novel was about California, uh, Run River was about Sac uh, Sacramento and the Central Valley where she grew up. And um, much of her writing was California based, her memoir, Where I Was From, uh, is interesting in many ways, a rebuttal of the myths of California on which she was raised and uh, which she came to reject. And that's definitely something we should talk about. And she actually, she so thoroughly sort of turned on what she had been brought up on that she moved back to New York with her husband, John Gregory Dunn. And she spent the last decades of her life on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. But still, I think there's a way in which she described California that resonated globally. There are many other great California writers. It's one point of view that she presented, but she presented it 
and 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 this is one of the things why the book is called The World According to Joan Didion, is because she was so good at describing place. She was really had a way of immersing herself into a location, whether it was the Haight-Ashbury, whether it was Hawaii, one of her favorite places, whether it was New York City or Miami or El Salvador, all, all places she wrote about a lot. She really had a way of capturing the essence of an area. And I, I mean that really literally, I mean, evoking the smells, um, the sounds, the feels, the light, very good at uh, describing the light, uh, which I think are all key things to understanding California, as you probably know from someone who lives here as well. Is that a world though, Evelyn, or is it a sensibility? Uh, the, the world that uh, the world according to Joan Didion, is that just a world of perception, of sensibility, of sentences? I think one of the questions and interesting things about Didion is whether she had an overall philosophy, a way of thinking about the world beyond her. her she's clearly a brilliant, or she was a brilliant writer, magnificent books, series of essays. But is there anything beyond that? Absolutely. Uh I actually think that she was very critical of the use of narrative or of style as a cover for deeper truths. And if you look at a lot of her work, it was really about interrogating narratives. She, you know, she came out of um, English, of studying English literature at Cal Berkeley with Mark Shore and very esteemed writers. And so she really understood the way that writing could be used um, as as gloss, and she was adamantly opposed to it. And she really actually, um, that's one of the reasons, you know, she wrote a lot about writing because she had that self-awareness. And she had a very, very strong sense of moral clarity and character. And um, that was something that she was always trying to find the truth of things. I mean, you know, it is the world according to Joan Didion. Everybody's take on the world is their own sensibility and their own point of view. And we put them together and we try to find a larger truth. But I think that she was absolutely in, in search of, of meaning. And, and, and I've been in search. We're all in search of meaning, even. I mean, it doesn't mean we find it. Let, let, let's talk about the 60s. She was on the ground. She had a unique spot on the corner of Haight and Ashbury. Uh, just down the road from me, she got close to the filth, the chaos, the idealism, the absurdity, the ugliness. You talk about her moral clarity. What was she saying about the 1960s? I never can tell. Was she horrified by it? Was she supportive? Was uh, she a conservative? Is she a liberal? Is she a leftist? It's never clear to me. Right. Well, I, I think she really eschewed she she didn't like labels, right? She uh, didn't like to put them on other people. She preferred to describe people and quote them, um, and you know use those status details of what they wore and what they said and, and what they were doing, rather than trying to fit people into pigeonholes. And but she isn't that a cover? No. For, um, no it's all very well describing what someone wore, but that doesn't tell them. It doesn't tell you about what they think. Oh, I I certainly think it does. Uh, I think, you know, the clothes say a lot about the man and, and I don't want to overemphasize style. Um, and, and I think that this is a mistake that people make about Joan is to overemphasize her style because 
she did become like an un, uh, unexpected style icon. Um, but absolutely, uh, there was depth to her writing, and that was part of what she did in Hate Ashbury. You know, she didn't live in Hate Bash in Hate Ashbury. She embedded herself there, and that way that the new journalists did right. That was part of what was happening in journalism in the 1960s. Um, and, and part of, you know, part of the goal of new journalism of writers like Jim Didion and Tom Wolfe and Gay Talese and um, et cetera, et cetera, was to overthrow that idea of, of objectivity, right? Uh, is to say that everybody does have their point of view and we have to make that clear. And we're, we're, and we're going to try to burrow into uh, what people are thinking and not pretend that we can, that we're just giving uh, the, you know, it's not the world, the world according to Joan Didion, she's not saying it's, it's the world, right? It's not the Walter Cronkite, we've got one point of view of what's happening in the news. This was Joan Didion's point of view and she was going to dig in deep and she was going to show you the details and she was going to, you know, and, and she got, she got, you know, she got great dirt or, or gold as she called it in a, the movie, the documentary about her by Griffin Dunn, you know, she she went and basically uh, just appeared into the wall and at at the communes, at parties, at beans and happenings and concerts. And she also talked to police officers and political and uh, figures and performers. And it's not a pretty picture of the Haight Ashbury, that's for sure. Uh, you know, and the at the end, she you know finds that there, there's a group that are giving their very young children LSD. Um, and she really, I think, probes the gender relationships in this supposed revolution and this new lifestyle and finds them to be lacking in revolution for women. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I, I've always thought with Didion, and particularly in her writing about Sacramento, you suggest, uh -huh. I think earlier, although correct me if I'm wrong, that she was trying to get out of Sacramento, she was rebelling against her upbringing, but I always thought there was a deep, and I think that's the strength of her work, a deep nostalgia about her childhood, her family, and the traditional way of life of Sacramento which she was always trying to rediscover in all her travels, whether it's in Los Angeles or at Berkeley or in Haight-Ashbury or on the East Coast. She always seems, I mean, she's a brilliant writer, but she seems a little lost. She does, is there, could one argue that she always wanted to go back to the, the Sacramento, the very traditional Sacramento of her youth? Uh, that's a really, really good question, Andrew. And I, I think, yes, I think there's evidence that she did want to go back. Not, not again, not to so much to San Francisco, though, though maybe. Um, she really never lived in San Francisco. She lived in-, in no, no, I meant, I, 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 if I said San Francisco, I meant Sacramento, Sacramento. where she grew up. Um, you know, she went back often to write and to, to visit her parents. She would go stay with her parents in, in not exactly the house that she grew up in, but that they they bought late in her teens and she had still had a room there and she often went back there and write. She was very close to her mother um, and then her parents moved to Carmel and she really stopped going back to Sacramento as much, but she still went to California to visit them. And it was really when after her mother died, both of her parents died that she wrote where I was from. 
and she published a lot of the work that was her um, misgivings. You know, she was a, a fifth generation Californian, right? Like her ancestors came with the Donner Party and with the gold rush. Uh, she, you know, she was certainly very attached to those roots. And She's an, she was or is a, a Californian aristocrat, even if that's a kind of contradiction in terms. Yeah, definitely. She came from a very, uh, her, her uh, grandmother's uh, family uh, was, was particularly wealthy, although her grandmother died be uh, before she was born. Um, but she, that, that her father did have that inherited wealth and they had a lot of, of, of land, though she was a public school girl. And again, yeah, as you say, Sacramento is not exactly um, the uh, height of uh, the European upper, of the American upper class. Um, and I think she did feel like a girl from the hinterlands when she went to New York. Um, but, you know, she went she went back to New York because her husband was not doing well and he was from Connecticut and he wanted to go back and they had lived in Cal California for so long. And then, you know, of course, he died and then their daughter died and she but she stayed in New York for I think it's like 19 years on her own. And, I, you know, I've talked I talked with her, one of her cousins that was very close to her. She thinks that she wanted to come back. She thinks that she regretted moving to New York, but but she didn't come back and she had a very nice life on the Upper East Side. Well, we are speaking with Evelyn McDonald. She has, some people say Evelyn, some people say Evelyn. I'm not sure which one to say. I think I Evelyn, you like Evelyn, don't you? Or you like, you prefer Evelyn? Well, in America, we say Evelyn, uh, but... Well, you say Evelyn, I say Evelyn, whatever. You are certainly McDonald, and you're the author of The World According to Joan Didion. Um, I wonder, uh, Evelyn, whether there is... And I'm just thinking out loud, so correct me if I'm... This is a really particularly dumb thing to say. There's a Southern quality to her work, and perhaps to the world that she... That, that in some ways what she might have in common is with, with Southern writers um, rather than California writers. Uh, she's, a, she's a writer about the past rather than the future. I think, no, you're, you're, you're on to, to something. She definitely had a kind of affinity with the South the Sacramento Delta area, which where the Sacramento and American rivers come together, um, is not dissimilar to the Mississippi Delta area, right? Mm. It's rolling rivers and, you know, there were steamboats on them and it's fishing and catfish and a lot of farms. It's a very rural area. And then, you know, in the, in the, in the thirties and forties, a lot of poor people from, Oklahoma and Arkansas came to Sacramento, came to the farming area. And so she grew up with that um, oaky accent around her and you could hear it in her, especially in her earlier interviews, it's, it's pretty pronounced. Um, so she did actually have uh, more of a Southwestern kind of accent, again, growing up in an agrarian area. You know, she's not, a lot of people, she, you know, she was associated with Malibu and Hollywood, um, but those were not her roots. That's where she came to live for a while. She also did travel in the South 
in around 1970 with John Gregory Dunn. They spent um, about six weeks driving around the South because she was really interested in it. Of course, that was a really terrible time in the South in terms of racial relations. And she actually came away pretty horrified uh, with what the South represented in America. But I do think that she was drawn, she was drawn to the, the global South, right? She wrote a lot about Central America, Latin America, um, and then she was also really interested in the Pacific Rim. She was loved Hawaii. Of course, California is on the part of the Pacific Rim. Um, democracy is really largely about that part of the world. It's really interesting because she did write about New York, um, usually critically, right? Sentimental Journeys is the first was the first major article by a, um, a white newspaper, essentially the New York Review of Books, to expose the, um, the way in which the young men in the Central Park jogger case were railroaded and falsely convicted. Um, she did that, you know, decades before Ken Burns did. Um, she really never wrote about Europe, which is pretty unusual for an American writer. Um, she was really embedded in global South, West Coast, and that's the America. And she didn't really write about the Midwest either. I don't. She, she certainly traveled the country, and she wrote about American politics, and she attended political conventions. But mostly, it was the West and the South. You present her as a writer's writer, and you had an interesting piece um, in Lit Hub. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, quoting her saying, to be a writer, you must write uh, how Joan Didion became Joan Didion. Was that because she was disciplined, committed, obsessed with the art and the act of writing? Uh, yes, I would say she was. She really uh, saw herself as a writer. I mean, she said, I write in order to understand what I think. Uh, which is something I actually completely relate to. Um, I, and I think a lot of writers do. She wrote a lot about the act of writing, about keeping a notebook, why I write, in a lot of her interviews. Um, and she was certainly very disciplined about it and, and pretty prolific, right? Wrote five novels and so many magazine uh, and newspaper articles and essays and short nonfiction books. Um, as well as screenplays and screen doctoring with her, her script, script doctoring with, with her husband. Um, I think that one of the reasons she does appeal to writers is because she was very transparent about her relationship to her craft and she didn't mystify it. Um, and she was very, she offered advice. She also mentored a lot of writers. I think she really wanted to pass on. Yeah, I think one reason you mentioned earlier, she only had one degree. She was lucky enough that she didn't waste her time with graduate work because that would have ruined her writing. Uh, the, the book is called The World According to Joan Didion. It's not called Becoming Joan Didion. And again, maybe this is a rather silly thing to say, but it seems as if Joan Didion was always Joan Didion. She didn't just become Joan Didion. She was born somehow with the sensibility, maybe not the writing skills, but her distance from the world, her core analytical ability to separate herself. Is there some truth to that? I mean, could one write a book becoming Joan Didion or would that be wrong? 
I, I actually like that idea. I like I like that title. I think there is an element of that because one of the things I write about is how she was willing to ex admit the uh, her inadequacies. Um, she was able to admit the myths of that she grew up on um, in terms of the glory of of the gold gold era, the gold uh, golden era of California, the Golden State. Um, she really turned sour on that. Um, that she was really someone who um, was open to growth. So I do. Well, everyone's you know, open to growth. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I that like, goes without saying. Uh, no, I think a lot of people have a tough time admitting their mistakes and 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 changing, um, unfortunately. Uh, so um, I I think that's not you know. There, there's an element of becoming Joan Didion in it. I, I wish I had called the book All American Bitch, which is the title of the Olivia Rodrigo song on her new album that is from that slouching towards Bethlehem from that essay about um, Hit Ashbury. It's like that, that was a great title. Um, but again, I'm of course the world according to Joan Didion. This is a reference to the, the, uh, Garp, uh, the Jonathan Irving book, um, The World According to Garp. Uh, and part of it is about, um, she was so specific and concrete in her writing. Again, like she had that, a very tactile sense. She could tell you like the specific perfume somebody was, was wearing. Um, and the book is organized in that way. Like the chapters all had very specific objects, building, um, uh, stingray, sorry, I was trying to think of the name of her, the brand of her Corvette, which was a stingray. Uh, snakes, which yeah, she was, she was obsessed of. with snakes, which is a very southern <laughs> kind of thing as well. Very Californian thing. I mean, we have a lot of rattlesnakes out yeah. here, and you know, she certainly grew up. That was part of growing up in the Central Valley. Uh, was watching out for for rattlesnakes. Well, uh, she was, was a little obsessed with them. We are speaking with Evelyn McDonald, the author of. The World According to Joan Didion, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, supporting this show. I'm going to run a short uh, feature about Liberties, and then we'll be back to talk more Joan Didion with uh, Evelyn or Evelyn McDonald, depending on how you want to pronounce Evelyn. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Evelyn McDonald, the author of The World According to Joan Didion. Um, Evelyn, I'm sure you saw the review in The Guardian, uh, which suggests that you're a bit of a fangirl, that you didn't get the full picture. Is there any, I mean, you're obviously, I'm, I'm sure you weren't thrilled with the review, but are you a fangirl and can one write a book? A biography of a writer as a fan person. Absolutely, and and you know, I thought that that choice of the world fangirl by the Guardian for that story uh, was very telling because uh, it's a very kind of de demeaning and 
um, and sexist term um, and really, I think, diminishes the importance of um, the relationship with the audience to a subject. And I mean, there's been decades of fan of what they call fan studies um, really coming out of England, led by uh, Angela McRobbie, the great English uh, scholar. So I was really love the Guardian generally, but I was I was very disappointed that they took that very uh, retro. Well, although the reviewer was also a woman, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm 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 sure I'm a fan. Uh, I I wouldn't I would not devote you know years of my life to writing about. Uh, someone uh, writing a book about someone if I didn't like them, um, because then it would be make two years of my life miserable. Um, I have to say that I actually probably was uh, more of a skeptical fangirl when I started than when I finished. Joan Didion was a subject that the more I found about out about her, the more I liked her. I did actually had, you know, I still have many critiques of things she did and, and didn't say. But I, you know, un, uh, you know, I wrote my previous book was about the band The Runaways, um, who, you know, I do still love, but that was a very, very difficult. Thank you, Queens of Noise. There, um, that was a, you know, a subject that the more I delved into, the more horror stories I, I found, and you know, very cantankerous relationships among the individuals in in that band, um, and horrible, horrible stories. Um, so yeah, uh, I you know another reviewer um, said I wrote with the uh, you know the appreciation of a fan and the writing of a poet and uh, the perspective of a feminist. So I, I liked that uh, triumvirate uh, better. Um, How do you think uh, yeah. Didion wanted to be remembered? What kind of book would she like to have seen by a biographer like you on herself, on her life, on her writing? That's a, that's a very good question. You know, I do think there's a way, there's a very um, protective shield around Joan Didion. She was very much part of the establishment. She was extremely successful. There's a lot of money in her literary estate. She has a very strong agent and editor and publicist. And I do think there's a very carefully curated public image of Joan Didion that I um, actually felt very aloof from, right? I, I, I felt that it's very aloof from, I, I felt that it, it could be very aloof from the perspective of the fangirl, right? So in a way I wanted to reclaim Joan Didion more for the people and for the fangirl and not just for uh, that upper Manhattan um, literati. Uh, I don't know where she, I, I, I think her sensibilities were always, she did not um, see herself as an elitist, right? She did always, as you say, see herself as connected back to um, regular folks in Sacramento. Um, she was very skeptical of politicians. She wrote very negatively about a lot of politicians, um, political fictions. What would she, you know, she, but then again, she probably wanted someone more famous than, than I to write about her. I don't know. Um, well, that's, you, that's yeah, and you're not probably the, you're certainly not the first or the last to, to write about Didion. What tradition was she out of? You, you compared her earlier with Tom Wolfe, another, I think, ultimately conservative writer, 
observing America with both horror and awe and amusement. Um, is there a tradition that you can fit her into as a writer? Well, I would say um, certainly uh, literary journalism. And, you know, I think she's one of the greatest of all time of combining the reporting of real events, more or less as they're occurring. What now is called with, creative nonfiction. Or right, yeah, or creative nonfiction, right? Um, you know, also, if you look at her novels, she really pioneered what they now call autofiction <laughs> um, in terms of mixing memoir and, and, and fiction. Uh, so in Democracy in particular, where she, Joan Didion is a character in Democracy narrating the book. That's a very autofiction contemporary kind of device. Um, you know, she was really, you know, some of her greatest writing, I think the stuff that will continue to be in, in anthologies and, and taught to students for mm. decades to come are her personal essays or just any of her essays. Right. What, what's going to be most remembered? I mean, I, I mentioned, um, I mentioned uh, the White Album earlier. I mean, the, the other ones that come to mind in terms of her personal writing are The Year of Magical Thinking, uh, Blue Nights, where I was from. Is there one book in particular you think that will be remembered, Evelyn? Well, The Year of Magical Thinking has certainly been her most famous book, the book about, her, you know, the, the death of her husband and um, illness of her daughter. That was the, you know, the bestseller, won, the, won awards. Um, I actually think that'll be more likely be the White Album or Slouching Towards Bethlehem, because I think ultimately it's going to come down to those pieces of creative nonfiction or essays. Uh, that really were her at her, in her glory, and that also captured the time in, in a way that still resonates. I mean, I I teach her all the time. My students love her. Um, you know, she seems to be very popular among uh, musicians right now, um, be, because there's something that both captures the 1960s and resonates today for young people. Um, I really like where I was from and I I steer people towards yeah, that book so because I. yeah yeah I think it's very overlooked um and it, and again it's where she sort of turned on some of the myths about her and her in California so that's a it's really it was really where I started with but it's I also and it comes back to what I was saying that I, I think ultimately she's a and I don't mean this in any way critically. I think she's a conservative writer, or certainly a, a writer looking, and it's true of all American writers, of course, looking for a tradition to anchor herself and her work. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if she was around today in 2023, certainly if she was one of your students just starting out, I would assume she would begin as a blogger and a videographer. Um, that Her work has that informality and accessibility that, uh, internet-based content aims for. She'd probably have a Substack account and a YouTube page, and, and she'd probably build her brand and reputation on the internet, wouldn't she? Well, I certainly think she, uh, I'd love a Joan Didion Substack account. I, I think, uh, I don't know about the YouTube, but because, you know, she was very, she was the woman of few words in terms of speaking. She was very uh, reticent. Um, if you look at interviews, she gives short answers. Um, although, you know, she certainly had an incredible poise about her and, and a great sense of fashion. Um, so maybe more Instagram or TikTok, <laughs> right? Um, mm. And I, and you know, I think that's where 
most journalism is going to start out today. Uh, or end up. I don't know about starting out. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I, I try to teach. I teach journalism at Loyola Marymount University. I We teach our students to be able to work in multiple platforms, as, as we say, that they should know how to operate a camera and they should know how to, and of course, they generally do know how to use social media and generally they're teaching me how to use it. Um, but we also try to teach them to write. And ultimately it's all about storytelling. Yeah. And your, um, your, your, uh, your uh, work focuses on storytelling. Final question, um, Evelyn. Um, I'm sure people have asked you this one before. What do you think if, if Joan Didion was around now and she saw the chaos in America, this, surreal circus of Donald Trump and a country teetering on perhaps civil war, undermining democracy, less and less civility. Do you think she'd be surprised or was she one of these people who, even in the 60s, recognized that this country was on very thin ice when it came to peace and civility and civilization? Yeah, no, I think that she saw it all coming. I don't think she would be surprised at all. Um, and I mean, you know, other writers have said this, I quoted in my book, she, she's, you know, she saw the Trumpocalypse to come. Um, that was why she, you know, wrote about political fiction. She really saw that way in which language and rhetoric was being manipulated. Um, and she, she was trying to warn us. I mean, I think she saw it both in the sixties and she saw it in the eighties and she saw it in, in the two thousands. Um, I think she, she'd be saddened and terrified and, um, but not surprised. Very Upper West Side, New York. Who's continuing in the Didion tradition? Who has taken up the mantle of Didion? Who, who do you think, uh, what kind of essayists or writers or, or just anyone broadly in the culture are continuing to do the great work of Joan Didion? Yeah. You know, I think that I should, Really, they're probably out there on Instagram or TikTok or or Substack um, emerging. Uh, you know, I think so many of us try to be Joan Didion and, you know, it's one of those things it's like trying to be um, Ernest Hemingway, which is who she was trying to be ultimately. She was? People are, yes, yes. She loved Ernest Hemingway. She, she learned to write by uh, retyping his his books, right, his writing. Uh, she wanted to understand how he, he wrote the, she called them the perfect sentence. Um, so, you know, there's certainly a lot of great journalists out there. I think Gia Tolentino at the New Yorker, mm. Amanda Petrucci at the New Yorker, a lot of New Yorker writers. She was a New Yorker writer and, you know, that's still the bastion of literary journalism. Um, but I also hope there's some coming out of, um, you know, smaller places like Sacramento or, or Kansas or, you know, Wisconsin, where I grew up, um, that have that pushing back against that East Coast, West Coast uh, hegemony sometimes in, in American culture. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think I think they're coming. There's a lot of musicians who are writing songs inspired by her. Um, so maybe, and you know, uh, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's movie starts with yeah. a, a quote from Joan Didion. 
Um, so I think it's beyond writing and journalism, her influence.